when I was putting that role in together, I was looking for the best uh, romantic comedy type music that I could find. Um, and I thought that was really good romantic comedy movie because I am a sucker for a good romantic comedy. And here's why I like them, because usually in a romantic comedy, uh, the good guys are going to win. The long shot couple who shouldn't make it overcomes obstacles and they make it. And also, last but not least, the villains get what they deserve. I really like a good romantic comedy. It's interesting, though, because I am, in fact, in my own story right now. And the story that I'm in, that I'm living, is being written every single day by every choice I make, everything that I do. And the question is, still to this day, is am I going to end up being the villain in my own story? It's possible. It's possible. It may just be that right now I look like the good guy. But I have decisions that I have to make today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I could end up becoming the villain in my own story because my story is still being written. And here's the great thing about a good story. There are all kinds of shocking turns and twists in a good story. You know, the person that we thought was the good guy ends up being the bad guy, right? And the people that we thought for sure were part of the bad guys they may end up being one of the good guys. And those shocking twists and those turns, they keep us interested. They keep us engaged with the story. Now, Jesus knew how to tell a good story. In fact, he knew how to tell a great story. And after all, the purpose of the stories that Jesus used, uh, because he was a master storyteller, and the purpose was to help us understand some very difficult, hard to understand things. Now, as we look in the New Covenant, one of the most uh, used uh, um, uh, metaphors of Jesus is Jesus as a groom. Now, this morning, we're actually going to read and listen to a story that was created by Jesus. He made it up. And in this story that he made up, there are some big plot twists. There are some turns. And it's all in order to help us understand something that is difficult for us to understand. So this morning, I just simply want to say welcome to God's great romance as told by Jesus, the groom. Okay, so this is very unique. This morning, we have the opportunity to listen to the words of Jesus as he's talking about a wedding banquet held in honor of him. Okay, so this is very important now as we get started. We have to answer the question, who is Jesus speaking to as he tells this story? So the audience that Jesus is speaking to, this is very, very important. They are religious leaders of Israel. That is the audience. We have to keep that in mind. Now, this interaction between Jesus and these these, uh, leaders of Israel um, we're going to, let me kind of catch you up with some context and how this conversation is flowing. So here's the first part. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. When Jesus returned to the temple, that means he's in Jerusalem now, and began teaching the leading priests and elders, so these are the people in charge, they came up to him 
And they demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? They're asking Jesus. So here's the context of what's going on. In this, this uh, what follows this is a long exchange between Jesus and these leading uh, priests and elders. So what's happening really is a battle of wits. That's what's going on. Um, uh, kind of like in uh, Princess Bride, that romantic comedy. Um, what's that word he kept saying? It's like extraordinary or something like that. Anyway, I would say it, but I can't remember. Battle of wits. Can you imagine entering into a battle of wits with God himself? <laughs> I mean, it's like a two-year-old debating Einstein, right? I, I mean, it's like a worm trying to bait God into an argument. But that's actually what is happening. That's what they are doing. And in this dialogue between Jesus and these leading priests and elders, Jesus tells a parable about two sons. And then after that parable, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Ouch. I mean, He's not worried about making them angry. He's talking to the best of the best. And they are the ones who are in power and control in Israel as far as things are concerned religiously. Then, after Jesus says that, he tells a second parable. And this parable is about evil farmers. And it ends with Jesus saying this. He says, I tell you, and again, he's speaking to the religious leaders and elders. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce proper fruit. Now, that was a big deal. In fact, as soon as Jesus said that, we're told by Matthew that those religious leaders and elders wanted to arrest him right there. But they didn't do it because they were afraid the people who were, he had a fan club, he were, they were afraid they would revolt. Again, the target audience that Jesus is speaking to is Israel's most important leaders, these religious leaders. These were the people that were supposed to be escorting Israel, the nation, toward the Messiah. That was their job a big part of their job. And they were missing their true calling and they were fighting uh, for their own power and influence. And in some cases, they were even profiting from the misery of the other Israelites. And Jesus is making this point really, really clear for anyone who was there willing to listen. Now, again, it's important to note that we are now reading this 2,000 years after it happened. And it's so important to us to remember that as Christians, or if you were here this morning just exploring whether or not you're ready to follow Jesus or not, we cannot place ourselves into this story right here at the beginning because it is not about us. So often as Christians, especially in America, we want to place ourselves in the middle of everything that's happening in Scripture. We can't do that. 
And we certainly can't do it here. Because if we do that, we're going to take the meaning of this parable, this story that Jesus is telling, and we're going to twist it and warp it. And we're going to come up with a meaning that's not the meaning. So we cannot assume Jesus is speaking to us here because he is not. The audience that Jesus is addressing here, Jesus is not speaking to Christians. And if we make that focus about us, we're going to warp the meaning of this whole thing. So this episode between Jesus and these leaders, it is a warning to Israel's elite leaders. It's a warning to them that those who refuse God's call on their lives will not only face exclusion, but they will face replacement. That's the meaning of this parable. Now, before you leave and say, oh, well, today's not about us. There is a word for us in this parable, but it's going to happen later in the parable. And it is secondary to this primary meaning here. So there is a word for us specifically to us, but it's going to come later, okay? So we cannot insert ourselves yet into this story. Now we're going to be picking up this encounter with Jesus in chapter 22. Now this is a horrible place for a chapter break. See, when, when Matthew wrote this, he did not include, um, he did not include uh, chapters and verses <laughs> when he wrote. In fact, when he wrote it, he didn't even include punctuation because that's not how they wrote back then. So we went back later and we added chapters and verses to help us make sense of this. But this is a horrible place for a chapter break because it makes it feel like that what we're getting ready to read is separate from what came before it. But it is not. It is all one encounter, the very same encounter between Jesus and these religious leaders. This is just the third part. I already told you about the first two. They are not separate. It's all part of the same encounter. And here we pick up this encounter. Um, I want to read this to you. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start with verse 1. Jesus also told them, same guys, speaking to the same people, other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven. Now, well, let me pause here for a moment and just let you know. The kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms that we have here on earth. And in fact, Jesus is even saying the kingdom, because the kingdom of heaven is not what you Israelites have experienced as kingdoms on this earth. It's not like that. So let me give you an idea about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's why he's telling this story. So Jesus uses this metaphor to help them understand. He goes on. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king. Now, in this story, the king is God, the father. All right. And he goes on. Who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. That's God, the son, which is Jesus. So it's a wedding feast for the groom. Jesus is the groom. Okay. So it is the groom telling a story about the groom. So here we have the son, the groom, Jesus himself, the reason for this wedding banquet that he's describing. Now the feast, the wedding feast, that is a picture of that day when Jesus the groom will be united with 
his bride, which is made up of all of God's redeemed people. All right? So that's the banquet. So here, there's the, there's the, the picture of what's going on. Verse 3, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants, the king did, sent his servants to notify those who were invited. What were those who were invited sent? They were all sent an invitation, an invitation to the banquet. In fact, you know how it usually happened in the first century? The invitations usually went out early. And so you agreed early, yes, I will go and attend. And then they would send a messenger out to say, okay, now it's time to attend, come to the banquet. So they would send out an invitation saying, it's coming up. Do you agree to go? Yes. Okay. Then we'll let you know when it is. That's the picture of what's going on. So what is required for that person to actually attend this wedding banquet? Here's what's required. They had to respond to the invitation by showing up, okay? That's what was required. You see, having the invite, <laughs> having the invite is not the same thing as being there. Having an invitation is not the same thing as actually being there. I mean, to be included in the banquet, wow. The marriage banquet of Jesus, in order for them to show up, they would have to place their faith in Jesus as the Messiah to become part of his bride and be a part of this banquet. That's the spiritual meaning, what's going on here. So think about it. What an honor to be invited to the wedding celebration of Jesus. What an honor. I mean, but what a greater honor to actually be there for it. It's one thing to be invited, but what a greater honor to be there. So who had invitations in this story? Well, basically, all of Israel had an invitation. But in this case, Jesus is singling out the religious leaders, the elders, the priests, okay? So all of Israel had an invitation, but Jesus is speaking directly to this elite group of people. Now, what did they do with this invitation that they were given, huh? Well, here's what they did. But they all refused to come. So Jesus is telling this story. So these people who were representing Israel on behalf of God, God's chosen people, these leaders in particular, they knew that they were supposed to attend this wedding celebration. They knew they were supposed to attend. In fact, if you go all the way back to Abraham, since Abraham, they knew they were invited. And then you go to Moses, they knew they were invited. They were supposed to attend, but they, in this story, refused to accept the invitation. Now, in this case, the invitation is not just an invite, it's also a command. Israel, all of Israel, the Israelites were actually commanded to attend this wedding celebration, right? They were commanded. And here's why we know this, because once they agreed to this covenant between God and his people through the laws that Moses gave them, at that point, they were commanded 
to be there. And to disregard this invitation, well, that was not an option. So this rejection of this invitation goes way beyond just being discourteous. It's to the point of rebellion and disobedience. So since Abraham, and certainly since Moses, Israel had not just been invited, they had been commanded to attend. They had been commanded, Israel, you will pay the price of following God, but when you do, you will reap the blessing of being a citizen in God's kingdom. And now these hypocritical Jewish leaders They had not only rejected their responsibility of leading the nation of Israel toward the Messiah, but now they were actually turning their back on the privilege of their inheritance. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, I don't. So if the invitation was given years and years and years earlier, go all the way back to Moses. Invitation was given earlier since they kind of forgot about it. And this is dealing with their deliberate turning their back on the invitation years later. And Jesus is using this story and he's calling them out in public. Since they rejected the invitation, the father in the story now responds to those rejecting the celebration of his son. You know what he does? He gives them another chance. That's a good father. Here's how it's worded. It says, so he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. In Israel's history, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, person after person after person, messenger after messenger. And he's been saying, get ready, Israel, get ready. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Get ready, get ready. And now Jesus, the Messiah, the groom was right in front of them. Now this story that Jesus is telling the messengers Um, on behalf of the king, the second time they go back and they're like, listen, everything's already on the table. It's been, the, 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 the animals have been killed. They've been butchered. They've been cooked. It has been prepared. They are all there. The king has gone to great expense for you to enjoy this blessing. Please come and celebrate the groom with us. Please come. And Israel and all the leaders have been invited to this feast in honor of the king's son, Jesus. And the king was reaching out to them saying, please come, won't you come? All you have to do is show up, won't you come? And receive this blessing as we celebrate my son. Come and honor my son and receive this blessing. And then here's what happens. But the guest he had invited ignored them, the messengers. And they went on their own way. One went to his farm. 
another to his business. Wow. I mean, they're just indifferent. They're just kind of scorning. They're just kind of scoffing at this invitation. And if we think that's bad, look what happens next. He says, and others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So others became not just scoffing at the invitation, they, they became hostile. They, they became persecutors. Now, this second group here of messengers, they received a very different response than just being ignored. I mean, some people who were invited to the feast, well, they, they went on and they thought they had more important things to do. After all, as we said, the invitations went out much earlier, and since then, they got busy. So they just went on about their life, staying busy and just saying, oh, well, I'm just not going to show up. But then others, they actually got angry. They got angry and they got violent. And you know that God was just as displeased with those who just kind of ignored the invitation as those who got violent with the invitation and opposed him. And God kind of lumps them all together. You see, the guys who were supposed to be heroes in this story became villains. There was a major plot twist. You see, God had blessed them with an invitation, and they returned with curses. I mean, they were blind to the blessings that they were supposed to get at this feast, almost to the point of insanity. Everything that the king had done to prepare to honor his son, they were going to be blessed by it. And it was almost insanity to say, no, we're not going to show up. And Jesus tells us that this king is going to send these people one more messenger. But a very different kind of messenger this time. Here's what happens. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, God takes this seriously. Israel, you had a once in a millennia opportunity. This was a chance that was not given to any other nation in the same way that it was handed to you. And God takes your snubbing of him very seriously. He goes on. And he, the king, said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. So here's another plot twist. He says, Israel, especially you religious leaders and priests and elders, you are out. Jesus is saying that the people that God invited first, the nation of Israel, did not live up to the expectations of the king, and they are not honoring the son. And so they lose their place at the table. Wow. They lose their privilege, and they are going to be replaced. 
Which leads us directly into the next plot twist in the story that Jesus is creating to help us understand this. Those leading priests and elders and much of the nation of Israel are replaced by a very surprising group of people. But meanwhile, all of this is going on. Meanwhile, everything is at the table ready for the celebration, but nobody's there. The feast is ready. The son is still waiting to be honored. And here's what the king says. He says, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone that they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. So this time the king sends out his messengers to go find people. But a very different group of people this time. I mean, the original people, they did not deserve to come. They were self-absorbed. Their thinking had become irrational. They had displaced their loyalty of the king and his son and no longer were loyal to the king and his son. And the new guest, you know what? These new people. They were surprising, but guess what? They were honored with the invitation. They were honored. They didn't expect they were going to get to be there. They were honored. So these people, they were riffraff. They were the outcast of society. I mean, these were people they found along the street and in the corners of the streets and in the alleys. These were people they just found walking up and down the street. These were not people, these were not people that, uh, uh, that were landowners. These were servants and these were street people, nooks and crannies. In fact, as Jesus words this in the, the story, when he says, anyone you find, Jesus worded that very specifically on purpose so that he was carefully wording that. You know why? Because Matthew then wrote it down carefully because that wording includes every possible prostitute and every tax collector. And let me tell you, when there was a wedding celebration in the first century, prostitutes were not invited. And tax collectors who were seen as worse than prostitutes, they were not ever invited. And in the story that Jesus is creating, they are next in line, replacing the other invitations. They are invited. The messengers went out into the street and they were looking for good people and they were looking for bad people. Whereas all of those who were previously invited were good. They were Israel, God's chosen people, but they had shown themselves to be evil. And now the king was treating all of those people who were evil as if they were good. What a plot twist. Jesus is saying, My Father's grace, the window of grace is opening wide now. Israel, because you are snubbing him, 
He is now inviting people of all nations into the kingdom. You know, used to, I thought back uh, when God was talking to Abraham and he said, you're going to be a blessing to all people. Um, I only attributed that to uh, mean that, yes, that's how Jesus was going to come and bless all nations because it was going to come from your family. And it does mean that. But do you know what it also might mean? That Abraham, when your family and descendants snub God, your snubbing of God is going to bless every other nation in the world because that's when the doors opened wide to grace. God knew it was coming and it happened right there. Jesus is saying it's happening. This is it. Jesus is saying the grace, it's opening wide because you are snubbing him. He is now including all nations, all people groups, everyone. He's inviting into the kingdom. And this was shocking then as it is now. Because God accepts the worst of sinners unconditionally. Here's what happens. As long as a sinner shows a willingness to accept God's grace by faith, God is going to transform him or her into a citizen of God's kingdom. And I promise you this, as Jesus is here, heaven God's kingdom is going to be filled with people like that. The wedding celebration of Jesus the groom is going to be filled, not with uh, uh, deserving people, not with self-righteous people, no, 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 but with people who answer the invitation and they show up to honor Jesus. And so the plot twist. And now, now, we can show up today in this parable right here. Not in the front. Right here is where we show up. The Lord is going to fill his kingdom with all nations. That can be us. With all peoples. That can be us with anyone who answers the invitation. It's going to be a giant mix of people. All these people that Israel thought and were taught that are too bad to be connected to God. But you know what? As it turns out, listen, do not miss this. Listen to this. As it turns out, you can't be too bad for God's grace. You can only be too late. That's the truth. You can't be too bad for God's grace. You can only be too late. But Jesus isn't through. There is still one more plot twist left. And there is still one more place that you and I might show up in this parable today. Jesus isn't through. He goes on in verse 11. But when the king came to meet the guests, these new guests who have responded to the invite, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing proper clothes for a wedding. Now, as we begin to listen to this, we might say, ooh, that sounds unfair. Wait a minute. He just heard, just showed up. It sounds unfair. Jesus, you're being unfair. The king's being unfair. But listen, the kingdom of heaven is not like any kingdom on earth. So listen to Jesus explain this, and let me help you understand this. 
So when the king came to meet his guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? And you might be thinking, well, maybe he's poor. But the man had no reply. Now, listen, do not, if, if, if I, if you've been with me so far, please do not tune out. We're almost done. Jesus made a point about whose invitations had been replaced. And now Jesus is going to place a magnifying glass on all the invitations that have now gone out. And he's going to answer the question, who will actually be attending the son's wedding celebration? And that should be important to us. Who is going to actually be there? That should be important to you. Will you be there at the celebration? And Jesus is the one telling this story. I believe we can trust it. So after all the new guests had gathered, the king begins to inspect the people who have gathered to respond to the invitation that went out. And he notices that there's a man who's not dressed properly. Now listen, there was not a uniform at a wedding celebration. You were expected to wear your cleanest, the best that you had, the cleanest clothes that you had. That's what you were expecting. In fact, in a first century wedding, usually what happened, and I'm, I'm assuming that's what Jesus is talking about here. Usually the host, Jesus didn't have to say this. They all knew this. We don't know this. We weren't there in the first century. The host of the wedding usually provided wedding clothes, a garment, an outer garment for the, all the guests to put on. The host usually provided that. And for some reason, this man doesn't have it on. And you can assume it was provided by the king. He had the money to do it. And everyone listening to this parable, they were thinking the same thing. So he shows up grungy, refusing. Not that he didn't have it. He was refusing to put on the clothes provided by the king. And this was blatant disrespect. Turns out, he was a wedding crasher. I mean, he was just trying to get to the buffet. He just want, he heard there was an open bar. He showed up. He's just trying to get something for nothing. Now listen, the king addresses, I love this, don't miss this, please don't check out. The king addresses him as friend, and it's not snarky. He addresses him as friend, as if to imply, surely, surely there's an explanation of why. So I, I, I began thinking, why might he not have the robe on? The wedding clothes. Why, why might he not? And then my mind goes uh, to the thief on the cross beside Jesus. 
And Jesus looks at him, the one who had faith in Jesus, and he looks at him and he said, yeah, you're hanging on the cross right now, but today, in just a moment, you're going to die. You are going to be with me in paradise. And I just imagine that guy, Jesus arrived first, and I just imagine that guy showing up. He just came down off the cross dead. And I can just imagine someone saying, hey, hey, where's your, where's your wedding clothes? And he's like, ah, I just got here. I mean, I barely made it in. I mean, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. And Jesus says, oh, don't, don't worry. He's with me. He's with me. And I can just picture the guy saying, yeah, I promise you, whatever you have for me to wear, I'll put it on right now. Give it to me. I'll put it on. I'll put it on. Just give it to me. And the king addresses this guy's friend. Surely there's a reason why you don't have it on. We can remedy this. But when he was questioned, Jesus says the man had no answer. He was silent. He just snubbed the father of the groom, the king. And he was refusing to honor the king's son in a proper manner. It's as if he was saying, listen, old man, just show me where the food is. Just show me where it is. I, you worry about yourself. Just where's the food? Where's the drink? Think about it. God the Father offers you an invitation. And if you respond, he places the garment upon you. He places the righteousness of Christ upon you. And that was provided not free of charge. That garment, the righteousness of Christ, was provided through the bride price paid by the groom. And if you missed last week, please, please go listen to last week because that's what we talked about. And so for this man or for us to stand heart to heart with Jesus and to refuse to take on the righteousness of Christ upon our lives is to refuse the life of Christ. It's to say, I just want the buffet, Jesus. Don't expect me to submit to Jesus. I mean, I want into the party, but don't expect me to deny the way that I want to live my life and the choices I want to make. Don't expect me to take up my cross and follow him. Yes, I want in and I want what you have, but I don't want to have to be involved in doing anything to look like him, to look like Jesus. I want in but I don't want to submit to the way of Jesus. Every wedding crasher presumes the free gift of salvation. They presume that the free gift of salvation has no expectations attached. I'm free to take it. and. It's free to me. I didn't have to pay for it. And I'm free to keep living any way I want to live. Listen to me. 
There is a reason why the words of Jesus, the groom in John 3, 16 are immediately followed by verse 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. And you cannot separate them like we want to do in America. They come as a package. Go read them for yourself. John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, it is free, but it always results in fruit. It always results in you putting on the righteousness of Christ. Even though his invitation was a replacement, he was replacing someone else. Even though it may have been free to him, it carries conditions. Those who actually make it into the party, listen to this. Their lives will actually be producing fruit. The proof that the invitation was received and accepted is one choosing to put on the righteousness of Christ. Otherwise, otherwise, if he's a wedding crasher, he's going to end up with the same fate of those who snubbed Jesus in the first place. And the symbolism that Jesus is making The plot twist in this are clear. And I do want to mention, the father did say, why don't you have that on the righteousness of Christ? And that is a conversation between God and you. I can't answer that. But as he asked that, it was as if he was asking his friend. I think he really meant it. Friend, why? Why not? I can't speculate on that. But what is clear in some of this story and part of this story is that the king expected them to put on the righteousness of Christ. Here's what happens next. It's not over. Then the king said to his aides, speaking of the man who refused to put on the righteousness of Christ, Bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me summarize this parable for us. There's a king who offers a gracious invitation to people that he viewed as friends, the Israelites. They rejected the invitation They rejected the invitation and their rejection sparked a severe judgment from the king. Their rejection also caused the king to now extend an invitation further to anybody who would come. But here's what happened. Participation was carefully screened. You see, Israel was invited, but the nation refused the invitation. And because they refused, it opened the gates wide to good and bad people. But though those gates are thrown wide open, those who are actually chosen to attend, 
They were limited by specific criteria. And here it is, the criteria. Those who made a choice to put on the righteousness of Christ. The wedding clothes. Jesus isn't done. He has one more stinging phrase. Verse 14. For many are called, but few. It's right there. Are chosen. Something is happening here at this wedding celebration that takes the many invitations that went out and ends up with a few. From many to a few. It's some kind of weeding, spiritual weeding process that eliminates. It goes from many to a few. And it is those few who make it into the feast. Who are those few? As Jesus said, many are invited, but few are chosen. Who are those chosen? We've talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. For the chosen, here we go. Their chosenness does not depend on their racial origin. Nope. But on their response to God's invitation and their readiness to give God his due. You see, this parable was crafted for the religious leaders of Israel to describe Jesus describing to them of how they are not in because of their earthly bloodline to Abraham. And how by their choices and their decisions and their response to Jesus, the Messiah, the groom, their choices have put themselves out. And now the father opens wide the door to good and bad people, which included me. He made it possible through a new bloodline, the bloodline of his son, the only bloodline that matters. And this morning, we all are faced with a choice. You see, the invitation to this wedding celebration has been sent to honor Jesus, the groom. And if we look at this story, Jesus is telling there are only in Jesus, in the eyes of Jesus, who is God himself, there are only three possible responses to this invitation that he sends for us to celebrate Jesus, the groom, and to be at that wedding celebration. The first response is this. We could just throw it away like the, like the most of the religious leaders of Israel did. We can scoff at it. We can scorn it. We can look at it with apathy and say, oh, I've got other things to do. I'm busy with this and that. I'm going to do this now. Maybe I'll look at that later down in life. We can just throw it away. We could even have aggression towards God and say, I hate the church. I hate anything organized about, about God and religion. I'll do my own thing by myself in the woods or on the lake. I'm not going to do anything organized for religion. Here's the problem with that. The Jesus died for the church, his bride. And if you've got a problem, if you're saying the bride of Christ is ugly, I think Jesus has a problem with you. 
You could just throw it away or you could respond with aggression. Here's the second response. We saw it in the story. We could try to show up disrespectfully. We could try to see if we could skate in on a loophole. Yeah, I'll say some words. I'll pray some prayers. I'll even jump in here and get get wet. Yeah, I'll do that. But listen, that's probably about as far as it's going to go. Don't expect me to do anything that's really going to cost me. I mean, I'll say some words, I'll make some agreements, I'll say some promises to God, but listen, don't expect me to submit my life. Don't expect me to pick up my cross and follow him. Don't expect me to change. Unless I want to, of course. We could show up disrespectfully. That's an option. But according to Jesus, those people will not be at the celebration. It's an option, but they won't be there. Who will be there? Here's the third choice. Those who humbly put on the righteousness of Christ. And they show up to honor his son. That's who's going to be there. And this morning, I just simply say this. What is your response to his invitation? What's your response? And my prayer is this, that right now, if you have not already, you see the righteousness of Christ are not the good deeds that we can do. It's putting on what Jesus did for us and it's allowing his spirit to begin to change our lives from the inside out. It's not our work. It's called fruit of the spirit, not fruit of Harley. If it was that, it might as well be fruit of the looms. Fruit of the Spirit. So here's my question. My hope is that if you have not already, that you will say, okay, Jesus, I don't deserve the invitation. I'm honored that you have opened the door wide and that God the Father, you are willing to put the righteousness of Jesus that I do not deserve that I cannot earn. You're willing to put that on me. And I say, yes. And if it cost me saying no to the way I want to live my life and saying yes to following you, Jesus, I'm in. In fact, Jesus, I'm going to say yes to you before I even know what you're going to ask me to do. And listen, when we get there face-to-face with that decision, that struggle, that addiction, that problem, that hurt, that pain, that unforgiveness, that misery, yeah, he's going to do some serious work in our lives. And it may take time, and it may hurt, and it may take us a long time to get through that. But we have on the righteousness of Christ, and he's bringing us through. It doesn't mean I will never fall and trip and and, and get bloody and get messy and get dirty and get gross again. It doesn't mean I won't mess up, but it means I'm covered by the righteousness of Christ. If you've never done it, you can do that right now. All you have to simply do is in your heart right now say, Jesus, yes. I choose you. The Bible calls that 
uses a, a fancy word, repent. But here's what that word means. It means turn around. That's all it means. I was walking my way, doing my thing for my reasons, the way I wanted to do it and live my life the way I wanted to do it. And I realized that was taking me away from Jesus, not to Jesus. And I said, I repent. This was wrong. This is sin. This is not what you want. This is what I want. I'm going to turn from my way and Jesus, I'm going to follow your way. I'm going to follow you, Jesus not just your way. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And something happens when we say, yes, Jesus, and we turn and we begin following him. And it's something that only God can do. And it's taking the righteousness of Jesus and placing it on your life when you didn't deserve it and you can never earn it. You only get it because you turn your life from your way to Jesus. And if you're doing that right now, here's another word for that. You're making Jesus the boss of your life. You were the boss in this direction, but you say, no more. Jesus, now you are my boss. You turn. And if that's what you're doing, I beg you, let us know on your connection card. And here's the next thing. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm not trying to hide anything from you. If you're making Jesus the boss of your life, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. As a church, the the next word, the next step that we find in the New Testament, the New Covenant, is when someone followed Jesus, they then got baptized. That was an adult decision. When you look in the New Covenant, they baptized more adults than any children ever. And you know what? At Stuttgart Harvest Church, that has been the case for us too. We baptize more adults than we ever have children. Because we meet up with adults who have been living their life this direction, their way. And they say, I'm, I'm, I'm turning. I'm, I'm leaving that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face Jesus. And they get baptized. I'm just going to say, if you, today, we can baptize you next week. I'm not going to pressure you. It needs to be your decision. But that's the next step. It's a celebration. It's saying, you know what? I've answered the wedding invitation. (laughs) Let's jump in. Will you let us know if you made Jesus the boss of your life today? You already know what the next step is. I'm not trying to hide it from you. The next step is to say, yes, Jesus, I'll get baptized. Some of you made that decision a long time ago as a teenager or as, as a young adult, and, you, and, and other people thought you were already a believer, but the, you came to a point where you said, no, no, I, this is really it. I'm really now following Jesus. And you need to be baptized. I didn't mean to turn this about baptism, but I, it just happened. So I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe it's time. But that's something you have to decide. And if you're struggling with baptism, it's important. Listen to this. Are you really ready to put on the righteousness of Christ if you won't jump in some water like Jesus said to do? That doesn't save you. That doesn't save you. It's a celebration. It lets everybody know it's your way of saying, here's what Jesus is doing in my life. And I want you to know about it.
Maybe it's time. Let me pray for you. We're done. Let's pray. God, thank you. I am so grateful for the invitation. And God, I am so, so grateful that your invitation went to good people, which was not me. And it went to bad people. That was me. And it went to people who would later, when they said yes, they would have their worst sin and their worst mess-ups in life. That was me. My worst came years after I said yes to you, Jesus. But you never took the righteousness of Christ off of my life. You never took it away, and you should have. Thank you, Jesus, that you picked up this broken person and dirty and filthy, disgusting person. And you said, I only see the righteousness of Christ. Harley. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.